God the Father. Praise his name for that. Man, how many of you are thankful for the worship team back? Somebody say amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, old brother Aaron, man. It was like, you ever seen the you know, old movie where the guy, I think, I think it isn't it on uh, uh, the old Mary Poppins where the guy's playing like he's got a drum and a horn and, you know, that was old Aaron last week with uh, Aaron, and, Aaron and Matt. I can't remember who else was there. Adrian, I think she was up here too, so good job. But what a blessing to uh, see you back and, and to see many of you back. Boy, there's been a lot of sickness and um, thankful that many of us are gathered together in one of those rare moments where a lot of us are here today. Thank God for that. I want to want to pray for Rhonda. Uh, Rhonda, she's probably watching this. Rhonda, we love you. And uh, she's in the hospital today. Now get this, get this. Rhonda uh, got saved about a year and a half ago. She's 60 years old. She just became a believer. This is Randy's sister, Rhonda. And today would be the second time that she's missed church since she got saved. Well, it's real easy to miss church, isn't it? I like that. And the first time was on a Wednesday, and she was just distraught about it. Just like something happening, a pickup somewhere. Sometimes you just have been saved too long. And you, it's easy to lose your priorities. I appreciate her. We're going to pray for her. She's a blessing, amen. She's a blessing. She's in the hospital, and so let's pray for her. Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 16. For those of you uh, guys in the back, I'm going to actually begin reading verse 13 just for sake of time today. So if you'll cue that up, it'd be great. We're going to start in verse 13. I'm sorry if I messed you up there, Kale. I, today, today we're going to, um, there's going to be a little bit of a summary of, of some of the things that have happened in the life of Christ up to this point. <clears throat> To get to this, this is one of the most climactic moments in Jesus' ministry. In fact, <clears throat> before I read verse 13 and following, I want to look, I want you to look at verse 21. This is significant. You don't have to go there on the screen, but just look there if you got your Bible. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Okay, let me stop there. In Mark's gospel, we're right about in the middle. So if you were to, Mark's gospel has 16 chapters. This is taking place at the end of like chapter 7, chapter 8. So it's easy to see it. You unfold Mark's gospel in the middle, and basically you're in the middle of the life of Jesus. We're finally there, guys. We've been preaching through the life of Jesus for two years. And uh, we got several more years to go, I think. But we are actually at the halfway point. Okay. At the beginning of Jesus' life, it was all about demonstrating who he was. The of his life was all about teaching and then executing why he came. From that time forth, from this moment, what I'm getting ready to read, after this moment, this great confession of faith, this great promise of the church, now, from that moment forward, Jesus is going to begin to focus on, on the crucifixion, the reason why he came. So the whole ministry of Jesus changes after this, what I'm getting ready to read. Y'all with me here so far? Everything changes. Everything changes based upon what I'm getting ready to read to you in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, 
am. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the right answer, by the way, to that question. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose. Amen. This is God's word. This morning I'd like to preach to you on this subject, on the solid rock. On the solid rock. In April of 2017, Time Magazine released a feature on the front of the magazine with bold, big, red letters on a solid black screen. The words had the attractive and shocking question, is truth dead? To be fair, the intention of Time Magazine was to draw into question the credibility of then President Donald Trump. But it is a question that is a fair question to be asked. Interestingly enough, if you were to hold up the April edition of Time Magazine in 2017, right beside of the April edition of the 1966 Time Magazine, they look almost the same. In 1966, it was the first time that Time Magazine in its 40-year history did not have a person on the cover. It had a question. It's the most famous and shocking an attention-grabbing Time Magazine cover of all times with this question, Is God dead? Of course, the 1960s were a time where folks began to question their grounding and their moral bearings and religion and its role in society with all of the issues related to civil rights and the issues related to a war that was hotly contested and a sexual revolution all taking place at the same time here on American soil. And so the question was proposed, is God dead? I do not believe that Time Magazine tied the two things together philosophically. But I am here to tie the two things together philosophically. If God is dead, truth is dead. But I got good news for you this morning. God is not dead. And truth is not dead. And all truth is God's truth. And God's truth comes to us through his word. And Jesus is going to remind us this morning that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. How many of you are glad today to know 
that you got some solid ground to stand on when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Jesus says to Peter in verse number 18, this famous verse, this verse that gets often misunderstood by so many people, this simple truth that there's a rock upon which the church will be built and a truth upon which we can build our lives and that truth, in short, is who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. And as we open up Matthew's gospel in chapter number 16, we're going to learn a little bit about our faith and a little bit about how solid our faith is. The first thing that happens at the beginning of Matthew chapter 16 is Jesus reveals to us the grounds of our faith. The grounds of our faith. Let me ask you a question. On what truth are you building your life? What is it that you are resting on and leaning on and depending on as the truth of your life? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1, Jesus is going to be confronted by the Pharisees and Sadducees again. Verse 1, then came the Pharisees and Sadducees, came testing him that he would show them a sign from heaven. So, They come now and say, we want you to show us a sign in order for us to believe that you are who you say you are. Now look how Jesus responds to them. I love this. He says in verse 2, he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather and the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? In other words, he points to them and says, you've got some solid things you believe in, like the weather. And you've learned in time how to look at the sky and make an evaluation based upon the sky's color. We know, definitively, you may, that this is the way the weather's going to be today. In other words, you have a solid source of truth in the area of weather. He says, how could it possibly be that you are Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders of this day, and you do not have the spiritual sense to understand what is going on around you? Interestingly enough, beginning in verse number 5, after this discussion, he is going to pull his disciples aside and he's going to say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples get all confused about this. What are you talking about, Lord? I mean... Are you talking about the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the four? Is it because we have no bread? And they're so confused and Jesus tells them what he's talking about. I'm not talking about bread. I'm not talking about the fact that you you did not have sufficient bread for the multitude. I'm talking about the fact that in John chapter 6, I fed 5,000. And in Matthew chapter number 15, I fed 4,000 twice in a row. And they've witnessed all this. And the leaven of the Pharisees is the fact that they have all the proof they want to know that I am Jesus, the Son of God. But the truth of the matter is, they just don't want to know. And then he looks at the Pharisees and says this in verse, I love this, look at this in verse number 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given except... The sign of the prophet of Jonah. Let me say something to you today. The grounds of your faith is not experience. The grounds of your faith is not a sign. The grounds of your faith is not a dream or a wish or a hope so. 
Folks, he says here, I'm not giving any more signs. I didn't give all the signs you're going to get. But let me just throw one more at you because you're not going to believe this one either. But I'm going to give you one more sign when this is all said and done. I'm going to give you the same sign that Jonah was given to Nineveh. And that would be that he would be three days and, come on, three days and three nights in the heart of a fish. And he would get burnt back up and given new life. And just, come on, just like Jonah was in the heart of the fish for three days and three nights, I am going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights after they crucify me, after they bury me for dead, but I'm going to come back alive again, and you're not even going to believe that either. Friends, I got news for you. My faith is not grounded in an experience. It is not grounded in what God does or does not do for me or what I, come on, what I can and cannot see. My faith is rooted in the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ that says this, he died died for our sins according to the scripture he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scripture and that's all you really need to know the grounds of your faith is Jesus the question number two of our faith is presented in verse number 13 when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do men Say that I, the Son of Man, am. Some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. By the way, there's a little bit of similarity or truth in all of these. Of course, none of these are the right answer. John the Baptist, that'd be understandable. In fact, um, uh, there were other times where John the Baptist's reappearance was questioned by certain people. There's Elijah, the great prophet. There's Jeremiah, as we uh, have learned in our Old Testament survey class. He was the weeping prophet, as Jesus was the weeping prophet over Jerusalem. He suffered. He was tortured for his faith. There's a lot of similarities there. And then, and then just there's this random other group of gatherings that people say Jesus is like one of the other prophets. All of which were close. None of which are true. Boy, you got to be very close, friend are very careful that you don't just get close enough to Jesus to like Judas kiss the son of God and still die and spend an eternity in hell without him. There is so much false information about Jesus out there and there are so many spiritual people and religious people that want to use Jesus when it's convenient for them, want to pull out some phrase from the Sermon on the Mount and run some political campaign but they wouldn't know Jesus if he stood in front of their face and bopped them in the nose. Jesus is not just another prophet. Jesus is not just a moral example. Jesus is not just another one of the long lineage of Old Testament people like Jeremiah and Elijah. And Jesus wasn't just the voice. Come on. He's the one the voice was talking about. Who do men say that I am? There's all kinds of wrong answers about Jesus. But I want to propose to you today, the point that Jesus was getting to is not what, do every, what does everybody else think about Jesus. The point he was really getting to is the next question. Who do you say that I am? Well, why don't we just get personal this morning? Boy, you better have an answer better than my pastor knows how to preach Jesus. And my pastor believes in Jesus. And my church believes in Jesus. It better be very personal with you. Who do you say that I am? I mean, if I were just to ask you to sit down, who is Jesus? What would you say? 
What did Jesus do? What would you say? How do you get to heaven? What would you say? How do you have a relationship with God? What do you say? It can't be kids and children and teenagers. Listen to me. He didn't ask your mom or your grandma what they believe and what you're supposed to believe because of what they believe. He's asking everybody this morning, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? I remember having just a couple weeks ago here at our conference, my good friend J.C. Hanks here with us. And J.C. is from my home church in West Virginia. When I became a Christian in 1997, J.C., took me through discipleship uh, in that summer. And now, all these 25 years later, he was here at the conference. It was special for me. J.C. and I went fishing not too long ago in West Virginia, and he recounted his story once again to me. J.C. had been at that same church for so long. In 1991, he was on the pulpit search committee for the pastor that led me to Christ about seven years later. So from that long and many years before, he's been at the same church. 40-some years now, I think. And J.C. and his buddy Denny were the leaders of the pulpit committee that drove all the way out to Kansas to interview Dr. Bill Eggerdahl to be the next pastor of the church in West Virginia, which ultimately he came and served as pastor there. So they drove all the way to Kansas, and they sat down with Pastor Bill and Vicki in their living room and began to ask questions about their faith, their philosophy, their preaching ministry, all, you know, just they're interviewing him and he said, I'll never forget when Pastor Bill turned around, he said, I think y'all have heard enough about me. I want to hear about you. And he said, why don't you tell me when you got saved? He said, Denny spoke up real quick. And, I mean, clear as day. I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was eight years old. And I've been following him ever since. I got baptized a couple weeks later. And I've raised my family in church. I mean, this He's changed my life. And J.C. said, I sat there the whole time going, I don't have one of those. I'm a deacon. I am on the pulpit committee. I've been going to church for years. He was actually reached uh, as far as going to church at Jerry Falwell's church back in Lynchburg, Virginia, years and years and years ago. Went to Virginia Military Institute, played basketball there. He's been a Christian essentially all of his life. But the only problem was he actually wasn't at all. So he fabricated some story there on the spot, feeling about as tall as a snake's belly. And he said, I got back home and I said, nobody will ever ask me that question again without me having the right answer. And he took the next day off and drove out to Kanawha State Forest by himself. And during that day, he opened up his Bible and got alone with Jesus. And out there on a picnic table, he got on his hands and knees and accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. That is his story. I'm asking you today, what is your story? Who do you say that Jesus is and then we got this answer it's a good one who is Jesus well number three we see the confession of our faith the confession of our faith is the confession of Peter's faith look what he says in verse number uh, 16 Simon Peter answered and said you are the Christ the son of the living God this is what we believe at this church this is what we proclaim at this church. Jesus Christ is not a way, he's the way. He is not a truth, he's the truth. He is not a life, he is the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. He is the Christ, 
the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah of Israel. Come on, the only one. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the Savior. And he's the only one that can fulfill that role in anyone's life. That's who he is. He's the Son of God. And make no mistake about what that means. It doesn't mean he's the offspring of God. It means he's the second member of the triune God. Come on, y'all. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not a good guy. He's not an influential guy. He is the very Son of God and God the Son. Listen to me, church. There's no other foundation to build your life on. If you do not believe that Jesus is God and you do not believe that he died on the cross, shed his blood, rose again from the dead, and is the only way of salvation hear me you don't believe what you need to believe about Jesus that's the confession of our faith have you confessed that as your faith are you right here and right now trusting in believing in Following what I just said, please listen very carefully, if not. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. These things I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, knowing Jesus is not a think so, maybe so, wish so, hope so. It's a know so thing, friend. You can know today that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you have never before, you can today. It's the confession of our faith. But let me encourage you with this final thought and don't get encouraged. I know I'm going fast, but it's about to slow down, okay? Number 4, I want you to see the future of our faith. The future of our faith. Because really this is extraordinary. This is one of only two mentions of the church in all of the gospels. Both of them are mentioned in Matthew First one's here, 16, 18. Second one's over in chapter 18, just two chapters later. Now think about this. The church has never been mentioned in the Bible before up to this point. The church is inaugurated, no doubt, with Jesus and his disciples. But the foundation of the church has really not yet been laid because... The whole new covenant is going to be sealed by the blood of Jesus. Are you with me here? And that's in the book of Hebrews. Okay, I'm not trying to go too deep for you here this morning, but that's the truth. Okay, The church is there in body right now because Jesus and the apostles are there. However, the New Testament church and the ministry that is going to come has not really consummated yet without the empty tomb. Okay, When that tomb is empty, come on, Jesus is going to come to them... And he's going to say, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. That's all going to come. Hey, come on now. And before he ever says that, he gives us a guarantee here. 
He gives us a promise, and the promise is this. Because of this confession of faith, because of who I am and what I'm about to do, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So let me help you with this for just a minute. I want you to see what is Jesus actually talking about here. What does he mean when it says here that I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church? Let me, let me just start here. The name Peter, or Petros, means rock or small stone, small pebble. And he says here, your name is Peter, Petros, you're a little stone. He said, upon this rock, it's not the same word, it's a different word, slightly, Petra, we have a lady in the church named Petra. Where is she? Is she here? Petra, there you are. She is the rock. Uh, but, so, Petros in Greek, small stone. Petra, the rock, translated rock here, is the, like, large piece of granite, like a stone hillside, like the rock. Now, some people make a huge mistake here and say, yeah, right there, Jesus promises Peter that he's going to be the first pope of the church. Let me just go ahead and say, uh, that's not at all it. In fact, if you believe that, you're going to have a real problem with what happens later in the chapter when Jesus says to Peter, you're Satan. Okay, so I don't know how you deal with that, but go ahead and try. But in some ways, he is talking about Peter in this regard. Please listen very carefully. He's not talking about Peter himself. He's talking about what Peter just said. And not only is he talking about what Peter just said, but he's also talking about what he said in Ephesians 2.20, that the church is going to be built, watch this, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, of which, of course, Peter is a part of that. So what is the rock upon which the church is going to be built? I think it's a pretty fairly simple answer. The answer is that the rock upon which... Uh, Peter, excuse me, Jesus is going to build the church is the confession of faith in Christ. It is the things that we most assuredly believe about Jesus that the apostles launched in their preaching ministry and the entire foundation of the church was built on Jesus. And watch this now. Here's what he says about the future of our faith. He says, first of all, I love this, the church will be built. The problem with some of you, seriously, is that you watch more Fox News than you do spending time in God's house and God's word. So you think the world is over, and you think it's all going to pot, and you think the apocalypse is upon us. I'm here to tell you, I'm not looking for the apocalypse, friend. I'm looking for Jesus. He's about to come and take this thing over just like he said he was and will. Friend, I'm not living in gloom and doom. Are you kidding me? i got too many promises, one of which is this. He is going to build his church. And if you don't believe that, then you explain to me what has happened since the time of the resurrection of Jesus, starting in Jerusalem at Pentecost when 5,000 people were saved and then 4,000 are saved in the next chapter. You say, well, that's pretty impressive. Wow, we don't see that anymore. Are you kidding me? We see that every day of every week, of come on, of every Sunday, both here and around the globe, where thousands upon thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ all over the world just 
just like Jesus said it would. What started in Jerusalem with 120 people has become the most earth-shattering, world-changing, life-rocking movement that has ever existed. The church. You say, well, I know a church that didn't make it. So how's that work? Well, one day they might plow this place over and build apartments on the very ground that we set on. And one day they may throw a headstone over River City Baptist Church. But let me encourage you about one thing. Let me tell you what's already happened. Already. They could bulldoze the place tomorrow and the church will live on. You want to know how? It's living on in Paraguay. Come on. It's living on in Hong Kong. It's living on in Mason, Ohio. It's living on up in another town in Ohio. It's living on in Indiana. It's about to go on to South Georgia. It's going to live on in the hearts of those that have been reached here forever. Why? Because nothing will stop. God from building his church and by the way while we're talking about church building let me help you understand something about church building it is God's church and God's the one that builds it watch it upon this rock I will build my church this ain't your church frankly it's not mine you said I wouldn't do it like you do I probably wouldn't either You say, well, I, you know, this is the way I think it should be done. Help yourself. Do whatever you want. Go try. You know what the problem is with many people? They think this is their church. It's God's church. And he's going to build a church. Here's the cool thing. We just get to play along. He's the master builder, 1 Corinthians 3, and we get to labor together with God. He just happens to let us play along. Kind of reminded me, uh, a couple years ago, me and Brent were out at the beach, and we were, we were doing some walking, doing some boogie boarding, and I looked up uh, behind me uh, between uh, the water and the hotels, and I saw this guy out there working out, and he had cones and stuff set up, and he was a big old guy, and I thought to myself, I, I looked at Brent, and I said, buddy, that, I guarantee you he's a football player. He probably plays for the Jaguars. Let's go meet him. And Brent was all excited, man. We took off, and we, we walked up there, and I just, I just stopped and said, hey, my name's Brian. He said, my name's Brian, too. And I said, yeah, I, I'm, this is a dumb question. You play football, right? Yeah, I play for the Jags. I'm an offensive tackle. I said, really? I said, man, look, would you, would you like, do something <laughs> with him? I don't care what it is. Would you do anything with him? I'm like, will you work out with him? Can I get a video of you working out with my son? He was like, oh, yeah, come on. And he lined Brent. I got a video of it. It was on Facebook. And, and, and he, you know, Brent's all serious. He's lined up at the, you know, the line. And there's 10 cones. It's going to be a 10-yard dash. And, 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 I mean, he, got, they got, he showed him three-point stands. They got down together. And, 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 boom, he said go. And Brent won. Well, Brent won because he let him win. the way they play I'm not sure <laughs> hey that was his race that was his game that was his activity he's a superstar he's a million dollar a year football player he was just letting Brent play along just Okay, that's about the way this thing's going at the church. We're here, we get to play along, but let's be honest about it. This is God's work, this is God's church, and God's going to do the work that he wants to do. We just get to tag along. 
And then there's this. This is a construction zone. I will build my church. He doesn't say he done completed his church. And this is the problem with some snooty Christians that I meet occasionally that don't understand that the church is an ongoing construction zone. I love the way this looks. Don't you? It changed the way live stream looks. It just, it's a cool looking deal. But you should have been in here the six to eight weeks they were taking to build this thing. It was a mess. There was stuff everywhere. There was sawdust everywhere and boards flying around and stuff didn't look good there for a while. That's what the church is. Friend, you want, I want to tell you something about the church. The church should just have a permanent sign outside that says, pardon our dust, excuse our mess while Jesus builds his church. Listen, friend, if you're looking for suits and ties and professional Christians, you don't come to the wrong place because what I think the church should be is a construction zone where people are being worked on. And before you look at me like that, he working on you too. It's always a process. And I hope this place stays messy. It was messy at the other place before we moved into this little pretty building with all these pretty things and all this pretty stage and all your pretty little chairs and, and a pretty little this and the little coffee shop and the nice little my God is so big nurseries and all the little floor and how cute it looked. Hey, I remember going over, somebody helped me over to 1051 Arlington Road where there wasn't nothing pretty about it, friend. And it was messy and it got messy. And I'm praying that it stays messy for the glory of God. He says, the first thing that's going to happen in the future is I will build my church. The second thing he says is great. The second thing he says is the church will prevail. And the gates of hell shall not <coughs> prevail <coughs> against the church. <coughs> Satan will try, Satan will attempt, but he has been promised in Genesis 3.15 that Christ is going to crush his head in the resurrection. Satan will try, but Satan will lose. And I want you to understand, in Romans 16.20 it says, And the God of peace, listen to this verse, will crush Satan under your feet. It's not just that Jesus destroyed Satan at Calvary. Watch this. It's that Satan and his dominion are crushed by Christ and his dominion. And what is his dominion on this earth? It's the church, friend. This is why we must stay after people. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Some of y'all say, I don't like how messy it is around here. Fine. We'll go to a museum. Because museums are nice. And they're all pretty, and everything's all perfect, but they're dead. I don't want this church to be a museum. I want it to be function more like a hospital. Now, he says all this, the church will be built, the church will prevail. And then watch this as I conclude here, and don't get too excited about that. Uh, where he says, the church will carry on evangelistic ministry. Let me show you this in verse <clears throat> number 19. Now, I'm going to park here for a minute. Y'all okay? And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. What is he talking about here? The keys. Keys given to Peter, again, doesn't mean that Peter is going to have the ability to forgive people of their sins. Listen to me. It means Peter has the keys 
that enable people to get where they need to go to get their forgiveness of sins. The key. It lets people in a room they could otherwise not get in. What is the key? Listen very carefully. The keys of the kingdom in verse number 19 are the same thing as the rock in verse number 18. When Jesus Christ emptied out the tomb and stormed up to heaven in his ascension, guess what he did on his way out? When he ascended and gave the great commission, he dropped a set of keys on the apostles' lap. Meaning, you're going to go out and you're going to proclaim what I am and what I've done, and it is going to open up the kingdom of heaven for people. If it's bound in heaven, it's bound on earth. If it's loosed on earth, it's loosed in heaven. Okay, he's talking about there the message of Jesus Christ being proclaimed to the nations is the key to their eternal life. But listen, don't miss this. He is the way, John 10, he is the door. But the keys to enter that door are the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel distorted or withheld keeps the door of heaven locked up for people that are on the outside. So what we've done, first of all, in this message is we've demonstrated the gospel in an undistorted and unfiltered way. But if the gospel is distorted, watch this, or withheld, it keeps people out of the kingdom. I'm going to be sharing some things with you over the next five weeks that are going to be radical. I can't wait. We're getting ready to get radical around here. And what I mean by that is we're getting ready to get radical with the gospel. And there's so many things that are swirling in my mind, I'm not going to share them all now, but there's two ways in which you participate in the gospel. One is through giving, and one is through preaching the gospel. If we do not give for the proclamation of the gospel, the gospel can't be proclaimed, at least through this church. And if we ourselves are not engaging in gospel conversation with people, then the people that God has entrusted to our lives are not going to hear about Jesus. And while we hold the keys and enjoy the room, our friends and family and neighbors are locked out. I had a, I had a lunch appointment this week with a lady who has been running an outdoor Bible club type ministry for years here in the city of Jacksonville. And... <clears throat> It kind of started, uh, what, if I could kind of give you a picture of what it is, it's, um, it's like a Bible school on wheels that goes out into underprivileged communities and teaches the gospel. And then, then there are, they bring people to church from that and all kinds of things. For those of you that are old school, it's be like a bus ministry out in an apartment complex, but it's like a mobile unit. It's pretty cool. I was approached about this because this group has an opportunity to be in Arlington, which is, just happens to be where we are, but up to that point had not found a church willing to work with them. And somehow there was a connection made between me and these people, and I had lunch with all this whole group on Friday, <clears throat> and I was shocked. 
listening to these stories and listening to these precious people that have given their lives to do this tell me that they call and knock on the doors of churches and nobody will even give them anything but an excuse as to why it cannot be done. And they said there's a door open in April and May and for four Thursdays in a row, we're going to be able to go after school at a public school and host these Bible rallies and all we need is volunteers. And I said, done. You say, who's going? I don't know, but done. I'm going. You mean to tell me you're going to gather hundreds of children in Arlington at a school and you're going to preach the gospel? And nobody wants in on that? I want in on that. I'm going to be there. And I'm inviting some of you to come too. And then all the kids that trust Christ as Savior, they got families. They got names and phone numbers and addresses. We're going to be able to go and talk to their families about Christ. They live right here in our community. I said, we're in. Count me in. I said, I'll be there. And I got several that will come with me. That's just one example. One example of what is right under our nose here, people. And I promise you that over the next five weeks, I'm going to share with you a radical vision of what's going to happen here in Jacksonville and around the world through our church. And I will tell you that if you're playing a game of church, you're going to be very uncomfortable here. You're going to be very uncomfortable. Because I am exhausted with doing church and not doing what we're here to do in the first place. And I'm talking finances, I'm talking about engagement, I'm talking about reaching, I'm talking about building orphanages and proclaiming the gospel not here only but around the world. It's what we're here. You have a set of keys in your lap. I'm not, just, I'm not talking about me. I know I've got a set, but you got a set. You have a set of keys. And you have an opportunity to share the gospel. Brother Roberts here, he's gonna, we're going to meet him in just a minute. They, he's here with one more child. Raising awareness for orphans and uh, uh, foster care and single mothers all around us. That we need to proclaim the gospel of Christ to. But you know what's wrong in our world? This world is so far from God that they may need to see Jesus before they hear about him. And they're going to see him through you. Not through you isolated in your little house and your little bubble wrap church. In our little thousands of dollars of this and this we have to do to make this place operate. But in the engagement of gospel ministry around this city and around the world. And so you hopefully won't get tired of hearing about it. But that's where we're going. And I'm telling you, I, listen, when we were in the old building, and most of you weren't even there. Like 20 of you were there. And I promise you, there was more gospel engagement going on in that dump than there is in this beautiful church. And I'd rather bar the doors than think this is all about us huddling up here once a week. Enjoying this powerful worship music, enjoying the comfortable air conditioning and the pews, and not engaging lost people with the gospel.
That's our job. That's the future of our faith. Let's pray together.